Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hello. We have been in a series about embracing things we often spend our lives searching for. And in week one, we looked at the search for calling and God's blessing. Last week, we looked at the search for happiness. And uh, in preparing these messages, I realized that in many ways, God is searching too. In scripture, it tells us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. At the beginning of creation, after Adam and Eve had chosen to turn from God's will, it tells us that God came looking for them, crying out, Adam, where are you? God was saying, where are you, my children? I'm searching for a relationship with you again that is restored. And of course, that is why Jesus Christ came to give his life in order to defeat the death that we deserve to pay and kick away the barrier of sin that kept us from God because God's heart searches for us. It searches for every person that is far from him. Through Christ, we are called to be restored. And so today I want us to look at how we engage with what God searches for, and that is people that are far from him. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, we read in verse 18 how passionately Jesus desired that his disciples would see spiritually what they couldn't perceive in their mere physical state. He writes in Mark chapter 8 verse 18, You have eyes, can't you see? Now, he was saying, you are looking at your life in your human experience, but not seeing in the spiritual. For you and I to see clearly calls for spiritual sight as much as our physical ability to look at the world around us. An academic paper on accident analysis and prevention study around motorcycle accidents said, research on motorcycle crashes has shown the frequency and severity of accidents in which a non-priority road user failed to give way to an approaching motorcyclist without seeing him or her, even though the road user had looked in the approaching motorcycle's direction and the motorcycle was visible. These accidents are usually called look-but-fail-to-see accidents. This research tells us that very often the person that has an accident with a motorcyclist looks in the direction of the motorcycle that is visible but doesn't see the motorbike. And these accidents are called look-but-failed-to-see accidents, LBFS. And I want us to look specifically today at the way we see others when we look at them. Because if we look but don't see, we may be allowing a crash in the life of someone we could have saved. Just as those motorcycle accidents involved someone looking but not seeing, so we can often live out a look but failed to see life. And so today I want us to look at the difference between living by simply looking at others and the difference at living when we see others. My dad once told me about an experience he had during his studies in fine arts at UCT. He was busy painting a still life. Now, often a still life is a thing like a bowl of fruit that they'll put on a table. And while he was busy um, doing his painting, his lecturer came over to him and said, look to see, not to look. You see, my dad at this point was painting his idea 
of fruit in a bowl rather than accurately seeing the specific one in front of him. In that statement, the lecturer was saying, see beyond your intellectual idea of things based on what you are told and taught. And this is what Jesus was saying to his disciples in Mark chapter 8 verse 18 when he said, you have eyes, can't you see? In our human experience, we don't always see the value in what we look at. We often unknowingly look at the world based on our intellectual ideas and not necessarily our spiritual faith. Yet as followers of Jesus, we are called to see what we believe and not just believe what we look at. So what we see when we look at others should reflect what we believe about God's word. And in God's word from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it tells me that people are God's masterpiece. When I look at others, do I see God's masterpiece? Because usually it's easier to look at someone's mess without seeing their masterpiece. In 2010, one of the most perfectly preserved pieces of mock art ever discovered was found in a Nigerian village. One of the writers for a science magazine described the find of the African masterpiece by two archaeologists from a German university, noting that amazingly this specimen was very close to the surface, only 60 centimeters down under the mud. The only reason this treasure had never been uncovered was because people failed to see the masterpiece when they looked at the messy mud. This truth played out in a moment documented in the pages of history from God's word in the Bible in the book of Mark chapter 6 verse 30 to 40 where Jesus is with his disciples. It says to us, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In this scenario, the disciples looked at a crowd, but Jesus saw sheep without a shepherd. In verse 35, it tells us about the disciples' response. It says, By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I don't know if you've ever got caught up so much in your own life circumstances that other people became an unwelcome crowd. I don't know how many times you might have walked into your workplace tired or distracted with your own issues, not having time to give focus and attention to the people around you. Well, in many ways, this was what the disciples felt in this moment. The disciples were tired, the crowd was a nuisance, and they were indifferent to the people's needs. But because Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he was compelled to give sacrificially to meet their need. You see, 
Seeing people removes indifference from what we once looked at. This is so important because as C.S. Lewis says so well, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Yet Jesus commands us in Mark chapter 12 verse 31 that we are to love our neighbors. You see, I can't love my neighbor while remaining indifferent to their needs. And I can only give sacrificially to their needs if I can see their masterpiece in the mud. If I can see them as sheep without a shepherd instead of just looking at them as a crowd. In verse 34 in this scenario, it says that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus began doing something intentionally because he saw the people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so teaching them was the work of giving them leadership and direction. In John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus saw the people. He didn't just look at a crowd. And because he saw them, he responded by giving sacrificially. Think about what God saw when he looked at you and I and how that prompted an intentional response of sacrificial giving to our need. Romans chapter 3, 23 in the word of God says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We have all sinned. And God looked at our sin and death. But he saw someone fearfully and wonderfully created in his image beyond what he looked at in our guilt and shame. He saw a masterpiece in the mud of our imperfection, and he loved what he saw. And that's why we have the words written in John chapter 3, verse 16 of God's word that say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Although God looked at our sin, he saw a masterpiece in the midst of our mess. And because he saw a masterpiece, he fell in love and his love drove him to the sacrificial act of giving his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He met our need because he saw the masterpiece in the midst of the muddy stains of our sin. On the contrary, his disciples lacked the ability to see and all they did was look at a crowd. The disciples looked at a crowd without seeing the people Jesus had come to save. And how easily can we find ourselves looking indifferently at the very people Jesus gave his life for? In John chapter 20 verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me as a good shepherd to those that are are, are sheep without a shepherd, so I now send you. Here's the problem. How can we be effectively sent to others we can't see? How can we be effectively sent to others that we can't see? And this is why Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8 verses 18, You have eyes, can't you see? You have eyes, can't you see? We spend so much of our lives 
indifferent to the world around us, indifferent to the people in our workplace, our friendship circles and families. Because when we go about our day, we look at people without seeing them. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen R. Covey wrote, I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then, suddenly, a man with his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet, the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was very easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what felt like unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to consciousness of the situation for the first time. And he said softly, uh, Oh, you're right. Uh, I guess I should do something about it. We, we just came back from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. Uh, I don't know what to think or do. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Stephen Arcovi went on to say, Can you imagine what I felt that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What, what can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. It's interesting because Stephen R. Covey's experience in that moment represents a lot of what Jesus did when he saw the crowd. When Stephen R. Covey saw things differently, it stirred in him an emotion and a compassion. We see that Jesus saw the crowd and it says he had compassion on them. And then Stephen R. Covey begins to ask questions about how he can help this man in this situation. The same way Jesus felt compassion that drove him to meeting the needs of the people around him. I want to ask you the question, where in your life have you been looking at people without seeing them? Who in your family, workplace or friendship circle do you need to see? And how do you need to reframe the way you perceive others in your world so that you see their masterpiece rather than just looking at their mess? As you go into the rest of your week, I pray that you would look to see and not to look.